jealousy. Boom, 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 right. Jealousy is a very dangerous heart problem, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Shakespeare, in his play Othello, gave this description of jealousy. He said, Oh, beware, my lord, of jealousy. It is the green-eyed monster with which doth mock. Shakespeare wanted to paint a picture in your mind of what jealousy does to someone. It turns them into someone else. They do things they might not otherwise do. Now, in the Middle Ages, and even now, the color green was very much associated with sickness. To be nauseous was to turn green, right? Mold is green. And this picture of jealousy is a person turning into a monster sick with envy. That's a vivid picture painted for us, right? And jealousy is another heart problem that we may struggle with. We may struggle with it that other people can see in us, but that we might not be able to identify quite as easily. When we think of jealousy, we immediately think of what we lack, right? Looks, skills, opportunity, health, height. Amen on that last one, right? There's things that we lack. There's things that we want. And sometimes we look at people that have what we lack and we get jealous and we begin to uh, uh, hate that person or maybe just dislike that person very strongly. And we assume that our problem is with that person that has what we lack. But if we're real honest, God could have fixed this whole thing, right? God could have made things different. Whatever he gave your neighbor, he could have gave you too. You don't really want to take your neighbor's nice new car, right? You just want one that's as nice as it. And you realize when you look up and down the street that when God was dealing out cars, he forgot you. He skipped you. What's going on here? Andy Stanley says the fact that your sister can fit comfortably into a size three pair of jeans is okay with you. The problem is, is that you can't, or at least you shouldn't, right? You find yourself staring at her when she's not looking, thinking, gee, she looks good. That's disgusting. I hate her. She makes me sick. But she's always flaunting how good she looks, right? You know, you shouldn't feel that way. And you try not to let it get in the way of your relationship. And you might even tell your sister that she looks good, but it's always there on the inside. You're always reminded of what she has that you don't. And it's not really fair, right? God could have doled out height equally. Huh? If I was God, I would have made everybody six foot. That's it. And now let me talk about this for a minute, okay? Did you realize there's only 15% of, uh, of men in America are six foot or taller? But 58% of Fortune 500 CEOs 58% are six foot or taller. That's heightism, right? Where's my movement? Where's my shirt? Hashtag heightism. It's not fair. It's not right. Some people have what I don't have, and I don't like it. Nobody cares about the little guy. God could have fixed all this, though, right? Now, most of us feel this way about some aspect of our life. If God would have taken care of us as well as he had taken care of some other people, then our lives would be so much richer, smarter, thinner, prettier, more talented, 
We each have a thing that we wish was different. But if we're honest, our problem is not with the people that have what we want or feel we deserve. It's with the person that's handing all those things out. God, what are you doing up there? God, well, why am I in lack? Why am I in need? Now, sometimes we do kind of love it that people, uh, the people that have that we want when they set, uh, suffer a setback, right? Come on, we like it a little bit, right? It's kind of heartwarming. When that tall guy hits his head on a beam, you're like, <laughs> serves you right, right? When that wealthy person has a car repoed, <laughs> they stretch themselves too thin. Yeah, that's what, it's, that's what they deserve. The person that has that position that you want at work and they make the, the wrong decision and you sat, sit back and say, well, I wouldn't have made that decision. Uh, the boss would have just hired me. Instead, I would have done things different. Or maybe your, your pretty sister-in-law puts on some pounds. You sit back and you say, yeah, not so pretty now, are we? <laughs> kind of gives us a little touch of satisfaction, doesn't it? No? It's, me, me neither. I don't feel that way either. But come on, you know what I'm talking about here. It's jealousy. We don't recognize this as a sin. We don't recognize this as a problem. And when we do notice these problems of jealousy, though, when that does come out a little bit, it's really hard to excuse it. Like, I can excuse my anger. I can excuse my comfort. I've got reasons for those things. But how can I excuse the pleasure I get from others' misfortune? But these feelings are a real indication of what's going on in our heart. And the diagnosis is not good. And until we're able to deal with our jealous heart, we will be unable to follow the most basic Christian tenet of loving one another. The problem is, is jealousy hurts our relationships with each other. It hurts our relationship with God. The wife that's so jealous that she tries to fight every woman within five foot of her husband, right? Or the father that's so jealous of his son that he can't give him a compliment. Or the, you're on a team with somebody and the, you secretly hope the best player misses the shot. These things are dangerous in us. None of this is healthy. That satisfaction that you get from someone else's failure doesn't actually help the problem, though, because there's always someone smarter, there's always someone prettier, there's always someone stronger. And your real complaint is not with them, your real complaint is with God, that God owes me something that I don't have. Cain was jealous of Abel. Esau was jealous of Jacob. Joseph's brothers were jealous of their younger brother's relationship with their father. Woody was jealous of Buzz, right? All those great biblical examples. What do we do about this? James 4.1 talks about this. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you. This James here is the James that, uh, the, the one that wrote this letter was traditionally believed to be the James, the brother of Jesus, right? And I imagine James, the brother of Jesus, might known a little bit about being jealous, huh? Can you imagine being Jesus' brother? It might be a little bit hard. I would feel so inadequate next to him. 
And then he would obviously go out of his way to do some favor for you selflessly. And you're like, oh, come on, Jesus, we understand it. You're perfect. Probably always try and get Jesus to do something wrong too, right? Like, Come on, Jesus, it's just a cookie. Just take it. Mom won't see it. It's not a big deal. I do it all the time. James knew that Jesus was different, but he didn't believe he was a Messiah until after the resurrection. But James says this, he says, how do we get in fights with people that are close to us? It's not outside circumstances that are outside our control. That's what we like to think, but that's not what it is. It's not outside circumstances that are outside our control. Fights and quarrels with my neighbor come from inside of me. The fights I have with people actually spill out of my heart. And it says less about them and more about me. Andy Stanley in his book, Enemies of the Heart, says the common denominator in all my relational conflict is me. The common denominator in all your relationship conflict is you. So what causes this? James says we have a war of passion within us. We desire things. We want things that we don't have. That is the source of all my conflict. I get jealous. I get angry when I want something that I can't have or when I don't get my way. Every fight in my house between my two children is all about them not getting their way, getting what they want. They want the first piece of cake. They want the front seat in the car. They want to control the TV. They want the other one to be quiet and leave them alone. And then we act like we're all grown, right? And some of this childishness comes out in us too. Verse 2, it goes on. Let's read verse 1 again. And what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Check this out. It says, you desire... And do not have, so you murder. Whoa, that escalated quickly, right? We're talking about like not getting our way, and all of a sudden we're talking about murdering somebody. It says you covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And then he says you do not have because you do not ask. Now murder here might be an exaggeration to make a point. But in reality, most murders are committed by somebody wanting somebody. The cops always start. You've seen, you know, Murder, She Wrote and Columbo and all these different, you know, shows. Those are all 40 years old. I'm, I'm, I don't know when I turned into a 60-year-old woman, but <clears throat> those are the only examples I can come off the top of my head. <laughs> I apologize to all these 60-year-old women out there. <laughs> but you've seen these shows. They always, where do they start with? They always start with the people closest to the person. This person was murdered, so I'm going to talk to the husband. This person was murdered, so I'm going to talk to the wife. They always look at the friends and the family first. They're looking for motive. What could they have done to somebody? What did they take from somebody? How did they hurt somebody? What could be the motive here? Once again, we see Cain and Abel, Esau and Jacob, Joseph and his brothers. Wood and Buzzy. Uh, <laughs> Wood and Buzzy. Woody and Buzz. But the problem here is that these desires, these passions, and these wants, they're never satisfied. You're never going to get to the end of your desire and your passion. Why? C.S. Lewis says this, that appetites grow through indulgence. Appetites grow through indulgence, not neglect. 
Gluttons think as much about food as starving people. When we uh, indulge in our basis desires and passions, they do not shrink, they grow. People that have power want more power. Wealthy people want more wealth. If you indulge in multiple romantic partners, you just want to skip to the next one. Feeding our base desires doesn't quench that desire, it grows them. So what is the solution? Well, the first thing we need to do is we need to admit that we are jealous. And whenever we find ourselves a little bit satisfied and a little bit excited when we think somebody made a mistake or did something wrong or tripped and you're like, yeah, I love that. I love that feeling. When you feel that in you, we need to admit that that person has something that we want. But what do we do when we have these appetites and passions that can never be satisfied, right? You said there's, these, there's never an end to them. Well, we have to take them to the one that created them. We take our passion to the one that created passion. We take our desire to the one that created desire. We take our need to the one that created need. Let's look at uh, James 1, uh, excuse me, 4, 1 and 2 again. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. See, when we take matters into our own hands, we take them out of God's hands. The only one that's capable of satisfying your needs is the one that created them, the God of the universe. Now, let's be clear here. We shouldn't be over here praying that God fixes other people. This is about us praying God fixes us. And this is another time we talked about anxiety. This is another time when you can lean on somebody and cast your cares and cast your worries. Whatever desire is unfulfilled, whatever unrequited love there is, whatever need you have that is not being met, you can lean on somebody and that somebody, hopefully that is also a follower of Jesus, will tell you to take your carries and or take your burdens and carry them to the cross, cast them at his feet. We take our desires that aren't being met to the one that can quench them, the one that can give us comfort and peace and hope. Your problem is not with your coworker that got that raise that you wanted. Your problem is that you wanted to feel valued. But that true value doesn't come from Acme Industrial Solutions, right? It comes from the one that created you, the one that made the universe, the one that made passion and desire. We can take these unfulfilled desires to God and we can share the weight of them with someone that we have a deep relationship with and we can take them together to God in prayer. And God can satisfy those thirsts for more that are causing these problems for us. We need to take our desires to God. Okay, got it, right? Check. I want something someone else has. Take it to God and he will give it to me. Awesome right? That sounds amazing. Ah, but there's another verse. Too bad we can't cherry pick verses out of the Bible. That would be so much cooler and easier. Let's check out verse three. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your passions. God loves you too much to give you everything you've asked for. God loves you too much to give you everything you ask for. And God isn't going to finance your search for meaning outside of him. God's not going to front the bill for you wanting everything else in this world except for him. And listen, it's okay to have no as the answer. When you hear that word no for a want, a desire, a passion, a need that you have, we have to trust that the God that made us has a bigger picture of the master plan. But ultimately, he wants you to find your satisfaction in him. Every longing, every passion, every desire, ultimately being about bringing him glory. John Piper says, God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. Sometimes our desires point us to the fact that we're going to the wrong place with our desires. Sometimes these things are inside of us, are warning signs that, hey, I'm looking for the wrong things. So some of those jealous wants that we have in ourselves are bad for us. He goes on and tells us that in verse 4 and 5. It's kind of uh, not, not exactly politically correct here. You ready? He says, you adulterous people. Let's start talking to y'all like that. You ready? You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, that means opposition, with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the, the uh, Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that has made uh, to dwell in us? See, we cheat on God when we seek satisfaction outside of him. The desires of this world are ultimately an enemy to God. And it goes as far to say that God is jealous when we look for satisfaction outside of him. Wait a minute, that's a problem, right? Is that hypocrisy? Is God being selfish? Because if we worried about our glory above all else, then we would be an egotistical narcissist. So how does God get away with this? Jonathan Edwards said that God is the being of beings, infinitely the greatest and best of beings. See, God can be jealous because he knows us finding satisfaction in our creator is the best thing for us. He, his jealousy is not just for his glory, but for our satisfaction. Matthew Barrett says this. He says, if God is the perfect being, someone then whom none greater can be conceived, then he would be selfish to point us to something or someone else for our true joy and eternal happiness. Indeed, he would be unloving if he pointed us somewhere else. For if he is the supreme being, then the greatest joy and happiness in life can be found in him and in him alone. In the end, the most loving thing God can do is require his glory to be the foremost in our lives. 
beware the green-eyed monster. When you feel those jealous and envious feelings creeping up, when you're upset that someone else has influence that you think you deserve, when you're pleased that someone fails, you must realize that your problem is not with that person. Your problem is your passion. The passion in your heart is not satisfied with God. We've got to remember also that God loves us too much to give us everything we want. So if you're getting in quarrels and fights, it's a sign that you're not getting something you want. So tell your heart that desire is a warning sign that your heart is not fully satisfied in God. God is most glorified when we are most satisfied in him. And you are most satisfied when you are glorifying God the most. So let's fight this heart problem of jealousy. Every head bowed and eyes closed. Band's going to come. Once again, this is one of those things that's hard to see in ourselves. But I think the best warning sign, the best indication is when we find ourselves strangely happy when someone fails. Whether it's your boss, whether it's your neighbor, your family, your spouse. When you look at them and you are excited for the fact that they made a mistake, that they tripped up. These things should be warning signs that we have a passion that's not being met. We're looking for that, uh, having that fulfillment in something other than God. We've got to remember that God is the one that deserves that glory and that praise and that focus. The one that created passion is the only one that can quench passion. The one that created desires and needs is the only one that can quench desires and needs. If you're going to anything else, you might not feel it right now. You might not feel it tomorrow. But I promise you, I guarantee you, and the Bible backs this up, that in the end it will be empty, it will be vanity, and it will mean brokenness if we look for satisfaction outside of God. Every head's bowed and every eye's closed. Let's take a few moments of meditation, of prayer, searching our heart, asking God what He wants us to do, how He wants us to change, what inside of us doesn't match up with his word. Let's ask ourselves over the past week, over the past month, where have we gotten in a fight? Where have we gotten in a quarrel? And then ask ourselves, well, what, are we, what was the thing that we wanted that we weren't getting? And then ask ourselves why that desire and that passion isn't placed in God instead of things and temporary earthly things. Take some time to pray.